Showshoe.com podcast. I wanted to start this podcast because, you know, in the studio, I get to tell all the students a lot of stories, and you probably catch those uh, in the classes, but, you know, after classes and before classes, when people are asking questions about the history and this and that, that's when a lot of those stories get told. As a matter of fact, I remember our training camps back when Dashifu was alive, and we would go out and train for two days straight, and you know, eight to ten hours a day, and it was pretty grueling, and we all worked really, really hard. And the best part of that camp was actually afterwards, and most people would take off because uh, they were just exhausted and they, they needed to get home and get some rest and that. But a few of us who knew would sit stick around, and we'd all sit down at a, a picnic table or around the pond or whatever, and Dashfu would sit down and he'd start telling those stories. And those were just some of the best times. Uh, We learned so much and got so much insight into his life. And we learned about martial arts, we learned wisdom, uh, we learned these fantastic stories. And I realized that, you know, that stuff needs to be passed on. It really, there's some great teaching stories, and I pass those on to this in-school students as we, uh, at, usually after class, and it's usually pretty spontaneous, you know, somebody asks a question and it reminds me of a story and that sort of thing. So I wanted to go ahead and, and see if I could remember some of those and pass those on to you. And I also like to take this time to, you know, take, explain different principles of, of Shoshu. I mean, I know you get them in the class, but if you get them in this podcast, maybe you'll get those a little deeper. Uh, they'll sink into your head more and you'll think about them. Maybe you can do this while you're, you're driving your car to work. Um, but beware of driving and Shoshu. The two don't always mix. I have actually been pulled over because I was thinking about Shoshu in my car. Um, there's a quick story there. Shoshu, when you're when you're learning, um, when when you really get into it, and some some people this happens early on, and others it takes years, but it becomes this internal kinesthetic that you actually can just visualize and think about it and you'll feel the motions inside and that becomes your main learning process. So um, I was just, had just finished, uh, I was actually teaching that day. This happens a lot more when learning but or teaching because when you're teaching you're learning. Um, and I had just finished a great class and I was really into what I had done and I had just actually been teaching the uh, Cobra material. And so I'm driving down the road, and I live kind of out in the country, and there's 
there's nobody really out here on the roads and it's it's pretty dark and nothing there and I was driving down the road and in my mind I was thinking of these cobra motions and internally this kinesthetic motion was going on and um, evidently I was uh, weaving a little bit. I wasn't exactly, I was staying between the lines for sure. I know I was not crossing the lines, but I was looking down the road and there was absolutely no headlights anywhere. There was nobody to be seen anywhere and um, so I'm like, you know, no big deal perfectly safe. I just got to watch for deer or anything. And pretty soon I hear the sirens and the red lights behind me. And uh, of course there's a police officer and he pulls me over. And the funny thing was, is I rolled down the, the, uh, the window and he didn't come up with the usual, he, he walked up to the car and he looked at me and he goes, it, it was like a question in his mind. He's like, well, I thought maybe, uh, you had been drinking, and he didn't actually ask me, have you been drinking, He's he just was kind of pondering in his mind, and uh, I said, no, I haven't been drinking, he goes, hmm, um, well, I thought maybe I saw that uh, a taillight was out or something, and I said, I don't know, you can look, and he walked back, and he goes, well, no, I guess I was mistaken there, too, and uh, I said, okay, and he said, well, uh, you know, have a good night. And he walked off. Never asked me uh, about if I was drinking or anything like that. So it was really kind of a weird experience, and I really don't know why he questions himself instead of questioning me, but that was happened. But anyway, that's my little story about uh, careful about Joshu and driving, because you need to pay attention to the road. Anyway, back to the... Uh, the reason for the podcast. Um, again, I think that I can tell some of these stories and some will help you learn their teaching stories. Um, some will help you learn where this came from, a little bit of the history, and um, maybe it can help you in lots of different other ways. So first off, let's talk about, you know, I'm going to get into why we're doing this. We're giving all these free lessons away online and, uh, you know, what's 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 the the gig there? What do we? What's the reasoning behind that? And um, there's actually a lot of reasons, um, but one of the, the the main reason is that uh, we saw a lot going on in the, in the, in martial arts, um, and we've honestly been kind of outcasts from the typical martial arts we've you know tried to get involved with different like martial arts associations and that that but we just don't fit in they promote in ways that we don't believe in they say to do things to your art that we don't believe in and so anyway short story was we've been kind of outcasts and um, and that's okay, because we're outcasts because we have maintained our integrity in the art. And so, um, you know, not saying anything bad about anyone else, but this is our, our system and our beliefs, and this is what we do. Um, so we'll talk more about that and why it's different and all of that uh, a little bit later, because there's a lot that's big, pretty big discussion. But what... Um, what we want to talk about now is that a lot of people have all these preconceptions about coming into martial arts. And um, 
excuse me, I'm, I like to do this podcast out walking in nature, and I'm walking my dog, um, with my coffee, and, uh, so if the, if the, you're hearing some bird tweets, and the wind's going a little bit, and all that, and drinking my coffee, it's because this is where I like to think, so, um, bear with me on that, and it's good for my dog, she likes the free time walking, so she'll, she's grateful for that also, so, anyway, people have these, uh, preconceptions about martial arts and coming into martial arts and and that's fine I mean that's just the way humans work we want to you know we want answers and we want to, if we we don't have the right answer we'll, we'll put some answer in our mind and that's based upon whatever our experience is so it's going to come completely depend on what your experience of martial art is of martial arts are so Let's talk about where that could possibly be. Well, your experience could be movies, okay? And um, one in particular, mine, my own personal uh, first experience of martial arts, and for probably just about anybody my age or there around, was the Kung Fu series, uh, it was called Kung Fu. And that was with David Carradine, and that was in the late 70s, and I think I was probably catching rebroadcasts of that. I don't think I was, I was probably a little young for the originals, um, but they remained popular for years. And for anyone who did not see Kung Fu, the TV series, the, it was, um, it was about a, uh, and you can you can YouTube this stuff. You can find it on YouTube, and all those are there. So I won't explain everything about it. But basically, it was a, a Shaolin monk, and the uh, Shaolin monk had uh, had had to leave his his uh, his monastery because something had happened, and then he ended up in in America, and he ends up wandering around country and going through all these different adventures and of course during that and this is during the um, probably around the year 1900 or maybe a little later the railroads were being built the Chinese were used, being used for uh, almost slaves to build the, the, the railroads um, it was the wild the, the setting was the old west um, so anyway because of being Chinese, he ran into lots of discrimination and had to fight a lot. And that was kind of the the, uh, the basis of the of the TV series. And the TV series was really cool because there was it was always focused around some learning story. It was teaching um, some moral, or it was always and and that was threaded throughout. The it was kind of the teaching of the. Um, the the master there was flashbacks of when the master would teach him things and he would he would again experience these teachings out in the real world and make mistakes and and um and then became better and didn't make those mistakes and made some odd choices or seemed odd to some but um they were these moral choices about not fighting and that and of course he was always forced to fight and then he always won and of course when he uh, he he fought. He, you know he just he bested them all with these incredible moves. Now the actual kung fu in the TV series back then, I thought that was the greatest, coolest thing ever. And 
Um, the bad thing about growing up and learning some actual real Kung Fu is when you go back and look at that, you look and you say, that was terrible. There was no martial arts skill whatsoever in there. Um, and it's really sad as an adult to go, oh, my childhood hero, you know, even though it's just a TV star, it was just, uh, it was just editing. But um, regardless of that fact, it was some pretty cool editing and it was a pretty cool show. So that was my, where my, I came from with Kung Fu. So that um, gave me, you know, the idea that Kung Fu was um, this really mystical thing and very uh, high moral caliber and um, all, all that sort of thing. And, and a lot can probably relate. So if maybe your your experience of, of Kung Fu comes from the movies of today, and if that's the case, then the fights are usually knocked down, you know, drag out brawls, they're high flying kicks, you know, maybe some of the um, some of the um, uh, Chinese movies they can fly and do wires and you know matrix stuff. They got all these crazy stuff and. You may not believe that people can actually fly, and I, I have not actually seen anyone fly in using Kung Fu, but that's kind of your perception that may form a perception of what it's, what it's about and what it looks like. And the main takeaway from that is that it's showy. So, showy, well, why would it be showy? Because it's a movie, and it has to be show, look cool to the camera. One thing you will learn about really good martial arts is it's not showy whatsoever. As a matter of fact, if it's done correctly, most people won't even know what happened. It can be so subtle in at times to be almost invisible. Okay. I'm not saying it's magical or anything. I'm just saying it's efficient in its motion, and you can't see it. You know, I, I do this thing when uh, when a new student comes in sometimes, and I want to wow them a little bit. You know, depend. I don't do that with everybody. If somebody's you can tell is not quite sold or whatever, and I'll do. Uh, I just one of the orange belt techniques. I usually do like five swords, and I'll do it on somebody. And I'll do it, you know, moderate speed, not super fast, but fast enough. And I'll ask, uh, how many times did I hit him? And usually the answer will be three times. And then I'll slow down what I, what I did, and I will have actually hit them five or seven times. And they're there's a little bit of confusion. They're like, I didn't see that. But then when they replay it in their mind, then they like, they're like, oh yeah, I did, re I did see that. And it's funny. That's how the mind works. It, it, uh, there's an example of making up the answer that it thinks, but it wasn't really true because it didn't perceive all the strikes. Now it wasn't that I was doing super fast. It was that the body motion was efficient. Some of the weapons were kind of, um, hidden, um, hidden in, in that there, just a, a slight twitch, um, and so, you know, if you put that on the movies, it's not going to be a very convincing film, because there's just, you know, it kind of looks like 
you know, a fight and one guy does this little twitches and the other guy drops. It's not, it's not really appealing for the movies. So to be, you know, appealing for the movies, that just doesn't work. That's not good art. And whether the arts that are, I doubt that the, that the original arts that they are using the movie were as big and showy as they were. So that may be your perception of martial arts if you come from the movies. And that's a, that's a really common one we run into. You know, I get people emailing me all the time going, you know, how can I learn to jump higher? How can I learn to do a backflip? And I usually respond with the, go try gymnastics. It's, that's not what we do. Um, and quite frankly, doing a backflip, I cannot see in any possible way how that will improve your martial skills. Now, is it cool to be able to do a backflip? Sure. It's just unrelated. Is it cool to be able to jump up real high and kick? Sure. But it's unrelated. So, not knocking those things. But, as far as being an effective fighting technique, backflips, kicking, kicking super high, in most cases, there are a couple little caveats to kicking high where you actually can, but in most, time, most cases, kicking high is not a good thing. Jumping, doing jumping high kicks is not a good thing. You're in the air, you're completely vulnerable. You know, a body, if you're not grounded, what happens if that's evaded or, or you're, you know, you, you can just, somebody can manipulate your body pretty easily when you're in the air. So they're not really, um, flying kicks are not really if something that you would want to do in a, in a life or death situation generally. Um, we do hopping kicks and that's a whole different thing, but, um, we'll get into the specifics of that at some other point. So movies, People come in with this perception of movies, and that's what it's like, that it should look cool. Well, let me assure you, real kung fu is super cool, but it's not cool in big flowery motions and cool-looking poses and any of that. That's not how it's cool. cool. And, you know, sadly, a lot of people want to get into that, and that's what they want to do, and it, which is fine. I mean, teach his own, but call it something else <laughs> you know I, not, not, the words martial arts just does not apply to that so anyway that's another person where place that martial arts your perception may come from and, and another place is hey everybody knows somebody who's a black belt well a black belt in what Hey, the problem is, is that there's a, a time that have, our country has gone through that, quite frankly, Amer Americans, you know, martial art is a discipline, not a sport. And there is a wide divide between a discipline and a sport. They're two completely different things. So, uh, you know, a discipline is, is more an internal thing. We're completely, the, the competitor is within in a sport, the competitor is generally somebody else. Now, you could say that, uh, you know, in a sport, the competitor is also within. But we felt, you know, in a discipline, it's completely within. Okay? We're completely bettering ourselves. The other thing is, in, in the martial aspect of being a discipline, that 
in your mind, you have to recreate the situation to where this is life or death. When I'm training, this is about life or death. And, you know, it's not like we run around thinking, oh, somebody's going to jump in us and attack us. There's just a benefit to putting that thought in your mind because it, may, it drives you to be the best. And so anyway, there's a lot of, a lot of, there's a wide divide between disciplines and sports. And uh, that's a, a subject for an entire podcast one day. But the main thing is, is that the, you know, if, if you've, if you've known somebody that's a black belt in a sport martial art and just about every martial art i've seen in the united states is a sport-based martial art there's some type of a competition is that competition a forms competition like forms to music is it a point sparring competition where the rules are limit you to you know kicking or hitting in the chest and not the vital areas um is it an mma to where, again, the conditions, you've got a soft padding on the ground, which does a couple of things that your, your kicks are way slowed down. Uh, it's safe. So, you know, going to the ground is, is, is safe in regards to a couple of things that, you know, there's not rocks and things on the ground that'll hurt you. Um, nobody else is going to jump in from the sidelines and kick you in the head when you're on the ground. Um, and... There's this, you know, cage around it, really limiting the the movement. Um, anyway, those are conditions, and then there's rules, you know, uh, eye gouging and kicking in the groin. Those are completely, perfectly acceptable in a self-defense situation, and not really acceptable in there. So that is, even though it's far more realistic than most competitions, it's still a sport. And so, anytime you apply rules there, you alter it. Anytime you apply rules, you start to get to where the competitors will train to take advantage of the rules. And then, as time goes on, more and more techniques are devised to take advantage of the rules. And then that just moves slowly but surely away from being a martial art. And so, you know, in some in some competitions, this is faster than others, and others, you know, like maybe you know, underground um, death matches, they, they probably move away quite more slowly. But yet, this is still a competition, and somewhat different okay um you might think that the underground death matches would be the same but actually well that's a podcast we will cover as to why they're not um closer but not not the same um so anyway your if your if your perception of martial arts is having a friend that's come from one of these sports then what you have seen has been based upon their training in the martial arts and their training may have been focused around winning that tournament. Okay, so their so their their main focus was not a personal defense defense system, what we call a fighting art. Okay, um, I tend to use the term fighting art versus a martial art. Um, fighting, it's and it's not even the best term. 
Um, but a martial art could, could mean anything, you know, technically anything to do with war. So beating a drum to, to rally the troops is something to do with war and therefore a martial art. Um, and a fighting art is, I think, a little more specific, but not even yet the greatest term. But anyway, I digress. So if your perception of martial arts comes from knowing somebody who trained in a sport, then again, your perception is going to be based on something that is not actually martial arts. Then if your perception comes from if your perception comes from maybe somebody who is your children training in martial arts. Now, you know, I love the Karate Kid, great movie. But prior to what was that? Ah, I gotta look it up. 72, 75. When, when did the Karate Kid come out? Whenever somebody can, I, I'll Google it, but I forgot to. Um, anyway, when that came out, uh, prior to that, martial arts schools were all men. You did not find women, and you did not find ch- children within the schools. There are a few exceptions, sure, but a martial arts school at that time was kind of like an old-school boxing gym, you know. It's in a, uh, the old brick facility, dirty, dirty bathroom, you know, that is just not someplace that women and children are going to enjoy being in. Men didn't care because they were in there to just, you know, brutalize each other. So that's what a martial arts school was prior to the Karate Kid. And martial arts schools were actually very new, um, the karate style arts had come to America first because they had come over from the military guys that were in Okinawa and trained over there. And then the Chinese martial arts, they had actually come over earlier, but they're very secretive. So the Chinese martial arts began coming over in 1900, but they were kept very underground. Um, there was not a public school you could go to and train through. But as far as public schools, um, you could find karate type, you know, when I say karate, I mean, you know, karate, taekwondo, um, those style of those harder styles generally originating from Japan or Okinawa, those were available. And, uh, so anyway, before the karate kid, that was all men just in there beating each other, brutalizing each other, and having a great time at it in a dirty facility. Karate Kid comes out. All these parents say, hey, that's the coolest thing ever. I want my kid to be able to do that. Let's go sign him up. The karate schools were flooded with all these kids. Instructors had no clue what to do with them. They didn't. were not trained in teaching kids. Um, and But it was big money. There's a, here all of a sudden this huge market. So, you know, instead of the, the rigid standards that they formerly used for testing for certain ranks, they had to go, well, we got to get some belts on these kids. So they did things like lowered standards. Maybe they'd give out belts for good grades or whatever. All these things that are, you know, probably good and positive things. Um, it, but they were not martial arts. And the other thing is that, you know, as a business, there's a whole lot of pressure from the parents of children 
because the parents are not in it, so therefore they do not understand what it is their children are learning. So the only way they have to recognize progress is trophies and belts. And, you know, progress in martial arts is, is mainly internal. So, um, not something you can see. There's no, there's no say, hey, there's no, you know, sign that says, hey, I've developed as a person. I'm a better person. I have got these internal skills. I've got, I can, I've got fighting ability. Um, none of that is apparent. So the only thing that is apparent to parents is trophies and belts. And so for these school owners to keep their students happy, they had to figure out ways of getting them lots of belts on a regular basis and uh, trophies or whatever, something, you know, patches, whatever it may be. But anyway, again, that was not part of the martial arts system. Um, and the ones that found that they gave out the belts faster made more money. And so then there came this perception that, well, one, martial arts is for kids. It's a fun little activity. And it, it's great for kids, but it's not, that's not the way it's done in our schools. So, um, then there's these, you know, nine-year-old black belts, and I think there's been some six-year-old black, and everybody wants to have a younger black belt, and pretty soon you're, you know, a, there's a three-year-old black belt, or I don't know what the record is now, but, you know, that's honestly ridiculous. Our standard of a black belt is somebody that can defend themselves against large men on the street if somebody was attacking you, and I just... No matter, there may be some fantastic skills that a six-year-old may have. They may have incredible skills for a six-year-old, but it just ain't happening, you know. So, um, anyway, I digress, um, but that's what happened, and you can see that. I actually talked to, you know, when we were in, trying to get involved in some of these martial arts associations that taught you how to run a school, and... I talked to one of these the top guys, and he said, "Well, yeah, you got to lower your standards. You got to lower your belts down. Um, you know, just drop the belt down to where like the blue belt level is, or something. And then all the all the belts that you would have above that, those would just be degrees of black." And uh, I just kind of ended that call right there. He said, "No, you know, I, I'm not interested in that. But that's a standard. So you've got these standards that are not." what they once were. And if your perception is based upon those standards, then again, you might not have a true perception of what martial arts is about. So, um, and you know, those are kind of the, the basics, but all of this is about is if that's where you're coming from, and everybody is, it's no big deal. Um, you know, mine was this weird, from Kung Fu, um, which was terrible martial arts, <laughs> and um, but that's where I start came from. That was my perception, and my perception of what martial arts was. It took me a long time of training to actually form and formulate in my mind what it is. So the biggest thing is is, is just you know an empty cup. So everybody knows the story of the. Um, the student that goes to the master and uh, asks for training 
And he's telling about all the things he wants to be, and this and that, I'm this and that, and the master pours him a cup of tea. And as the student is um, is is talking, I'm probably really messing this story up now because it's not fresh in my mind, but as the student is talking, the master's pouring tea, and he continues to pour and pour and pour, and the tea is running over. And the student says, jumps up and gets mad. He burned the teas on him, spilled on him. Why did you do that? And he says, when the cup is full, can I put more in? So, anyway, and somebody can probably Google that story and do a better version for me. But you get the idea. Clear your mind. If you're ready to take this journey of Shoshu, then uh, we'd love to have you. Um, but your perceptions of what martial arts are going to be the first thing to stand in your way. Okay? You have to come in with an open mind. Now, an open mind is a dangerous thing too. What you do is come in, learn, and then go think about what you learned. Is that true? Everything we teach you should be absolutely logical, should absolutely make sense. Okay? So, my saying for that is, trust but verify. As a student, you have to be absolutely trusting. You have to take in everything that that instructor says without question. But then that leaves you open to being, you know, a, a complete follower and not having a mind of your own. So what do you do? After class, you go over it, and you verify in your mind. Does that seem logical? Does that seem right? Okay. So during the lesson, absolute 100% trust. After the lesson, verify on your own. Think about it. Okay? That way, you're not a zombie follower, but you also get to be a great student. So, I'm going to close with that. Um, and, by the way, don't forget that. I think that that is for any martial art you study, for anything you do, anything you teach from, you learn from somebody. That, that and it took me a long time to learn that very simple three-word sentence and how important it was in learning, trust, but verify. And so, go on out, get your next lesson. I hope you're enjoying it. This is Shenshu Weaver, and we next time. Zheng Qi. Zheng Qi.